I, I thought I would start actually with an interactive thing as well. So if you didn't get to stand up just now, don't worry. Um, there's still going to be the opportunity to participate in the service. Um, and we're beginning a four-week series called uh, Everyone Welcome. And we're looking at how the kingdom of God is a welcoming place. And we occasionally do this here at Christchurch because it's so easy to forget and hard for new people to realize uh, these statistics. But um, this is what we're going to do. If you've been here in this church family for more than five years, could you stand up, please? That's a rough guide. You were here before I got here. <laughs> um, it's not many, is it? Look around. If, you, if you've been here for 10 years, uh, stay standing. 15? 20? 25? Let's go for the 30. And there you are, the Smiths over in the corner, and Gina, Stella, well done. Uh, I say everyone gets to play, so if you've been here for less than five, could you stand up, please? <laughs> Including if you're visiting, that would be, be lovely to say hello to you. Um, uh, less than three? Uh, stay standing, if you less than three. Less than two? Um, less than one? Less than six months? Less than three months? Just visiting today. Stay time, you're just visiting. It's lovely to see you as well. <laughs> I, I just love to do that occasionally because sometimes when you walk in on a hundred or so people, you sort of think, oh, everyone must know everyone so well for, for decades. Did you ever get that impression you walk in a room? It actually realized that in this part of London, it's not that we've killed everyone off after a few years, but you know, people move through so quickly on short-term contracts or housing, all these sort of things. Um, and actually, the, the incredible sense of community uh, that people often comment to me about here has come about not because of natural things, but because each one of you here in the church family, whether you've been here for just for a few weeks or for many months or for many years, goes out of your way to welcome one another here. So thank you so much uh, for the incredible welcome that you give. And, and you might be saying to, to me, Richard, you, you've just had a reading about loving your enemies. What are you trying to say about the church family? <laughs> yeah, um, and nothing whatsoever. That was just an introduction to the overall series. But as we look now into this passage, let's pray and ask God to speak to us today. Father in heaven, we, we love you. We love you for Jesus. We love you for who he was walking around on earth, teaching us extraordinary things. And who he is now, seated at the right hand of the Father, and yet also through the Spirit living in our hearts. We pray that who he revealed you to be might be first and foremost in our hearts and lives now, and that you might give us grace to love as he loved us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been in that place in our family life where we've been in the medieval era. I can now tell you that it lasted from somewhere around 650 uh, to 1650-ish. Um, and I've read all of the Dorothy Kingsley medieval books that are unavailable in primary school libraries. We've also been on a visit recently to uh, the Battle of Hastings site at Battle Abbey in 1066, the last time that England was successfully invaded. And um, we've seen the medieval era at work. And in order to get to grips with this passage, I'd love to imagine you, if you can, you yourself in one of those Robin Hood-style stories, 
where there's one of those amazing uh, big castles. Maybe you've seen them traveling around National Trust properties in England if you're a visitor to these shores. Uh, And you are uh, a person outside that castle, and you're a child. And inside the castle is an incredibly well-respected and loved lord or baron who runs that castle. And one day the baron is... um, driving past on, on his horse, and, uh, as, you, as you do, and, and he sees you lost and lonely, uh, orphaned, and brings you into the castle and says, come on, you can be my son, my daughter, come, come on in. And you sit with the baron and his family at the high table, you enjoy pig's heads or whatever they enjoyed in those days, you feast on the quail's eggs, you grow up, you're educated, you're taught how to fight, how to look after yourself, you're given every opportunity. And at some point in your mid-teenage years, you feel uncertain and unsettled in your identity. You run away from the castle. Before you know it, you're destitute. You fall in with a gang of outlaws. And gradually you get caught up in a, in a gang who actually is fighting against the baron, whose patronage you'd enjoyed. And one day you find yourself in a full-blown military conflict with your old patron. And you, you find yourself heading in with sword in hand, ready to attack him. And he drops his weapon and allows you to kill him rather than him defeat you as he, you well know, easily could. Imagine a second story with me, contemporary story. You own a property in Chiswick or Ealing or Acton or Twickenham, Hounslow or Kew or Brentford or wherever. <laughs> And suddenly, due to international turmoil in the markets, interest rates and inflation go through the roof, and you find that the index-linked mortgage that you had is suddenly unpayable for you. Overstretched, you turn to an old and much richer friend who offers to lend you a vast amount of money so that you're not made homeless. You got so caught up in negative equity that the property is almost worthless to you now. And the loan is everything that you have to get you through and get you out of trouble with the banks. However, your circumstances fail to improve. And you go to the creditor, cap in hand, saying, I'm so sorry, there's no way I can get out of this mess I've got into Uh, please have mercy on me. There's nothing I can do to help myself. Please, would you forgive my debt? And the creditor looks at you with an extraordinary love in her eyes and says, yes, I forgive you your debt. You walk out of that encounter and see someone that you bought the grocery for last week and shout at them because they haven't paid you back. 
and demand that it's paid back immediately. Second story, of course, is one of Jesus' parables, isn't it? Those who have been forgiven much are supposed to forgive much. Those who know that they've been loved much are supposed to love much. And the first story really unpicks for us just how much we have been loved and just how much we have been forgiven. I want to sort of start in the middle of good theology today, and we'll end up with the beginning of good theology. But the middle of good theology says this. While we were still Christ's enemies, or God's enemies, Christ died for us. Human beings, according to the middle of good theology, are human, are enemies of the King of Kings. We're at enmity with him. We fight against him. The good things that we want to do, we don't do. The bad things we don't want to do, we do do. We keep fighting and pressing away at God, and we act as his enemies. When Jesus Christ, in the Christian story, came to the world, he didn't come to people who loved him. He didn't come to people who respected him. He didn't come to people who were desperate for him to arrive. He came to people who were at war with him and said... I love you even though you're at war with me. Do you see? In the book of Romans, which that verse comes from, it says that all of us, all of us, bar none, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are all at war with God. You see, well, prove it. (laughs) I don't think I'm at war with God. What are you on about? I, I don't see it at all. Well, consider the ownership of the earth whose is the world if you're english you probably have an answer to that says well my bit of the world (laughs) it's my castle (laughs) i own that bit of the world it's mine i have the right to determine who comes in through my front door who doesn't whether i'm renting the property have it as a place in, in hand or if i own it it's mine it's my place it's my castle You may have some philosophy of rights. You may say, nobody has the right to tell me what to do or make me do what I don't want to do. The scripture says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then it says something extraordinary. It says that he chose to share the ownership of this planet with some very special creations of his. But the entire making of this universe and this planet, one of the main reasons for it was to see whether some crazy bipeds might manage the planet in such a way that brings glory to God. When he releases them and gives them free will and says, off you go, have a crack at it, see what you can do. So he says to the man and the woman, collectively, you're in charge, have a crack, see what you can do, what are you going to make of it? And if you've seen any Disney movies, you know that ultimately it's not going too well. Seen the robot movie (laughs) based a little bit in the future. Or Wally. Have you seen the Wally film? Everything's been made into rubble. (laughs) Look around you. Maybe you read the uh, the air reports from London this last week and realized how much pollution there is. Look at the hurts in people's lives, the rates of suicide among midlife men, the feelings that teenagers have about themselves. 
bit of a mess of it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, but we get to share it. And the act of sharing it with us has actually ruined something that was perfect and lovely along the way. We have, whether we like it or not, through a million paper-cut type decisions, proven ourselves again and again not to do things God's way. And the heart of that is that we look after someone very, very, very important to us consistently, forsaking all others. We look after number one. Some of that's instinctive, some of that's good. (laughs) Survival is an important thing. But here in this passage, Jesus says, look, there's another way if you want to see my kingdom come on earth as in heaven. If this world is going to go back to how it was in the beginning, in really good theology, (laughs) before you were my enemies, there are some things that need to be right in order to get back to it. You need to be able to love your enemies. You need to be able to do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. To pray for the people who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you, give him the other cheek. If someone wants your cloak, don't stop him taking other layers that still leave you decent underneath. Give to those who ask you, and, give, and anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Because if you love only those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even those you think are sinners will love people like that. In other words, he says that there's a radical reversal of the way almost everyone has lived their life over these years. As enemies, we are selfish. We look out for ourselves. We look out just for us. And that act makes us God's enemies. Because he wants all of humanity to be blessed. As people of the kingdom, we share and give away and care and pray and bless. Totally different order. So how do you get from A to B? How do you get from enemy to child of God? And the first thing is simply this. It's recognizing that according to the middle of good theology, you actually have become God's enemy. And I'm so sorry if that feels like a newsflash to you. It's so easy in our culture to just assume that we're basically all right. But it doesn't take a huge amount of self-examination, honestly and openly, with the radio turned off, with the internet turned off, with the Wi-Fi switched off at the wall for a moment, to look in on our hearts and realize that again and again, even by our own fairly weak standards, we failed. I accurately prophesied and predicted here on the 1st of January that I would break all my New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) It's the end of February. They're already gone. (laughs) Even by our own weak and pathetic standards, we fall short of the glory of God. Okay. Diagnosis. What's the good news? Well, the good news is that even in this diagnosis, he loved us. And this is what takes us back to the beginning of good theology. 
Before we were ever God's enemies, we were, in Lucy Winkett's wonderful phrase, his image bearers. God's image bearers. I wonder if you could just say that phrase with me. It's a beautiful phrase, image bearers. One, two, three. You are God's image bearer, and so is everyone else in this country, including those climbing into vans trying to get refuge in here and freezing in the night and those trying to cross the Mediterranean in dinghies and those starving in far-off lands. We are all God's image bearers. And although we have, as an entire race, gone off and become enemies, he chose to step down from heaven and to love each and every one of us. It's an extraordinary thing. It's a level playing field. None of us, according to the Bible, deserved his goodness, his grace, his kindness. But each one of us can receive it freely as a gift. Friends, this is then the big question, the huge defining question. Do you know that you have been forgiven a huge debt? I'll ask it again. Do you know, know, as in you are certain, you have a deep conviction of, you have an assurity of, a forgiveness of all that you've done that has made you God's enemy. Do you know that? Just this week I was called to sit with a man who is dying and will die in the, in the next several weeks, most likely. And he called me in because he has never really been a churchgoer, but wanted to have an assurance of what he instinctively had been trying to get at in his heart, that he was both an image bearer of God, could have a relationship with God, but also needed to be right with God, because who hasn't got it wrong over the course of a lifetime? And we sat together and I said, look, this is ever so simple. All you need to do is pray, thank you, God, for loving me for sending Jesus. I'm sorry that I've got things long along the way. Please would you let your love come into my heart by the Spirit and let me know that I am safe with you. I'm blessing this dear man sat there and prayed with me. I mean, who wouldn't pray such a releasing and wonderful and liberating prayer? Who really wants to hold on to their sin so tightly and have I did it my way playing at an epitaph? When they've realized that that's like the proverbial monkey having his hand stuck in the jar full of nuts and he can't get his hand out of the jar anymore because he's insisting on doing it his own way. Who really would hold on to those things? My right to determine my own way. My right to go my way. Once they've realized that that is the way of death. And of non-life. And of non-forgiveness. And so this dear man realized that he was loved much. And so prayed for God's love to fill him afresh. And anew. So if... You can look in on your heart and say, yes, I know that I have been forgiven 
if you have even a small revelation of how big that debt was, then imagine this. The person in this story who owes you the grocery bill. If you know that you have been loved so much that you can be forgiven all your offenses against God and humanity, could you not then love your enemy? Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who ill-treat you. Turn another cheek and offer your coat and do to them as you would really deeply hope that they might do to you. Of course, this is not Jesus trying to give people some sort of religious opium and saying, just keep going back for more punishment. Just cope with the status quo. If you have an abusive spouse, just keep going back for more hits. If you're in a horrible work situation, just keep in there. It's not that at all. You'll remember from Jesus' life the phrase, he did not entrust himself to people because he knew what was in their heart. When we're faced by an ongoing abusive situation, there is a discernment that has to place, and loving someone doesn't mean that you allow yourself to be hurt by them again and again and again ad infinitum. You can utterly forgive someone and utterly love someone at the same time that you give evidence against them in a court of law if they're a perpetrator of horrific abuse. Those things are not mutually contradictory. Loving and freeing and forgiving someone is something that is up to you to do as well, even if you have to remove yourself away from abuse. I have a dream that you're going to see come up on the video now. Um, Many of you have seen this before. And it's a dream that's being realized um, and continues to be realized time after time, week by week here at the church. It's a dream where the whole community here in this area can meet with God, make incredible friendships, and as a result of that, have lives changed and transformed. For many people who are here today, this is part of your story. Some of you will be totally unaware of what goes on five days a week here. You've just come into Sunday worship. We have thousands upon thousands of visitors here each year. When we have the pancake party here on Tuesday evening, if it's anything like it was last year, people will be queuing up to get in. On the video a little later on, you'll see the bi-weekly queues that go around the corner of people getting into the sanctuary that is this building. Many of the people who come in here are not in sympathy with the Christian faith at all. They don't know Jesus, they're not Christians, they're sometimes antagonistic 
to God. This is the queue uh, forming around the corner. But what happens again and again as they meet with the team, as they meet with the volunteers, and thank you all who volunteer here, is that they come into a culture that you can't buy for £3.50 and a latte. (laughs) They come into a culture of God's kingdom where all our team are praying and offering a hospitality to any and all, regardless of their faith or background, orientation, whatever it may be. And God, again and again, keeps showing up and keeps changing people's lives. Just this week in the cafe, a lady came in and talks and prays with Dennis through some traumatic and difficult things in her life. On Friday, a couple from a Sikh religious background came in just before the communion service and watched a a video that I was showing about a remarkable miracle God had done in a man's life who wrote the song, I am a child of God, I'm no longer a slave to fear. They were in tears in here. We see people again and again coming into the sanctuary area to pray, to meet with God. A welcome stretches out to the community and has now stretched over to St. Albans and into the Mission Hall as well. We've now got to the place over at St. Albans where we're on the cusp of extraordinary opportunities. We have people asking if they can do things in there, whether it's theatre production, there's a Shakespeare production that's being booked in for June now, which is a lovely thing to see. Uh, whether it's wedding receptions, whether it's parties, all sorts of things coming into a space that is fundamentally prayed in and lived in and loved in and is going to become, over these next 10 years, the very beating heart of that community. It's a wonderful place to be. Is it just there? Are we just here For those who already know Jesus, for those who already worship in purity wholeheartedly, by no means, of course not. We are the forgiven, aren't we? We are the undeserving. As the hymn puts it, we are those who have received love to the loveless shown, (laughs) that we might be lovely be. If you know Jesus, you carry around over the top of the rags which you've spent years accumulating for yourself, (laughs) spiritually, a beautiful, gorgeous cloak, pure brilliance. And if you know Jesus, you know how to share that cloak with the next person as well, and that there's one for them too. May God bless his word to us today. May he join us together as a church family. I hope that you'll come on the welcome course if you're not signed up yet. I hope you'll come and get to know people. If you've been here for three weeks, you are now on the welcome team. You've seen the statistics. (laughs) If you've been here three weeks, you're a long-term member of the church. (laughs) You're a key welcomer into the church family. I do hope you'll come. And I do hope, above all things, that you'll remember that if you've been given so much grace, extending it to those that you meet this time tomorrow, this time on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, is not a big ask, but a natural ask. When loved by the person who said on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. 
May God bless his word to us today, in Jesus' name.